Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Um, why we find me a music fan? Because that one apparently isn't strong enough for the word of the Lord. Um, I'm going to pray, and uh, there we go. Hey, Mary. Everybody say thanks to Mary. She's awesome. There we are. Yeah. Well, let me pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father, you're good, and uh, Lord, we just thank you that you are in control. Um, it's unbelievable to be able to come to a place and uh, hear your goodness and um, sense your spirit like that is just uh, remarkable. And so I pray that um, as we walk through your word together this morning, that you would also uh, be here with us through that, that you would encourage us and bless us, and that uh, everything we find ourselves in and our heart drawn to would be because you are drawing us. Uh, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. If you guys want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter 2 is where we're going to start. Um, so interesting thing. I, I get a question a lot when people ask, you know, Oh, what do you do? And, you know, what are you into? And that kind of stuff. And I tell them, oh, well, planted a church, started a church. And they said, oh, what's that like? And that's a dangerous question. That's a, that's just a, a weird question because you know that whatever you're going to say is going to get an immediate reaction and they're either going to be all in or they're going to put up defense immediately and go, well, you know, I, you know, I go to church somewhere else. Um, oh yeah, you know, like I, I stopped going to church a while ago. And it's so funny because a lot of conversations that I get to have with people when we talk about, planning a church and building a church and all these things we're doing, uh, it, it blows people's minds when we just talk to them like, hey, like we're just trying to do this thing. We'd love for you to be a part. And it, and it breaks defenses down when they realize that we don't want anything from them. Um, and I'm not trying to, you know, lead them to a place where they carry a really thick King James Bible and yell at people on the street corner. And that church doesn't have to be that, but that it's, it's a process of bringing people in and then affecting the community that we've been placed in the middle of. It's a, it's a long-term build, not a, not a quick jet engine boat that you drive in and go as fast as you can. It, it, takes, it takes time. And so when people ask me, like, well, what, what is it like starting a church? I'm like, well, I'll tell them it's incredible. It's uh, a lot of fun. It's really hard. It takes some time. But the one thing I've learned more than anything outside of God's provision is patience. And I don't know if anyone out there is like me who is just immediately gifted with patience out of the womb. Anyone like that? No? Okay, two. Yeah. No, um, that's a lie. I just lied to you. I apologize uh, as a pastor of the church. Uh, yeah, I was not gifted with patience. It's not a uh, strong suit that I have. I'm not very talented in that realm. Um, but when people ask me, what is it like starting a church? And I tell them, well, it's a good opportunity to build patience, to learn patience and provision and it's a lot like actually kind of when we built our house. So when we came to the city, we were um, the city. We were in Greenville. It's not like we were hours away. But we uh, couldn't find a house here. And if you've ever searched for a house in Traveler's Rest in the last three or four years, you know that they go pretty quickly around here. Um, and the only thing that we could do to get the house we wanted was to, to build it, to go to a builder. And, you know, they have these different options. And you kind of pick a house and say, I want you know, this on the wall and this kind of marble and lots of things that my wife really cared about that I didn't know existed. 
um, like options of flooring. I just kind of thought they gave you that when you built the house. I didn't know you had to pick which color you wanted and the depth and the grain and the, it's just incredible. And so, um, you know, I, I thought we were going to go get a house to be built, ready to go a bit naive. I understand that. Um, but it all happened really fast on the front end. So when we learned that, we signed the documents, we built a house, we went and had this meeting that took like four hours and we picked everything from the color of the cabinet to the type of cabinet to what shade of brownish gray the floor was to uh, what else? Do we, I mean, it was everything that you can think of. Marble, like for your, have you ever looked at 18 pieces of marble and they all kind of look the same? And then you go, I, I literally told the guy, so these all look the same. And he goes, no, no, this has flecks of purple in it. And I was like, oh, obviously. Yeah. Now we know what the differentiating factor is, these flakes of purple. And that meeting happened and we thought, okay, well, we got everything picked out. We're going to throw this house together. So two weeks time, we're going to move in. We'll have this house beside Paris Mountains. It'll be beautiful. And let me tell you, nothing drags on like when you have a plan in place and you're waiting on other people. Amen, anybody? Yeah. Like we had everything ready to go. Time was ready. We, we had an apartment we lived in. And let me tell you, I, I love people, genuinely do. I like being around people. I like having people at our house. I like life. But there's one kind of person that I have a hard time loving. And it's the person, when you live in an apartment, who lives above you that works out at 3 a.m. I have a hard time loving that guy. So we got this incredible deal on this apartment. We sold our house really fast, moved into this apartment. We're like, man, why is it such a good deal? We can move right in. It's awesome. So we moved in this pretty nice apartment over on Rope Mountain Road. And we go in, and, and as we're moving in, somebody's moving out. I'm like, okay, it's a little turnover. And two days in, I hear this. I'm like, great. 3 a.m., people are jumping up and down running. Goes away for about a week, comes back again. And I'm waking up. I'm a pretty light sleeper. So I'm waking up, freaking out at 3 a.m., hearing these elephant noises. And I finally go to our... Um, little house that the guys who work there, the people who put people in apartments. I felt like Kronk just now. Um, you see members in your group. Um, it's good. Fourth, fourth, fourth. Uh, yeah. That's where I'm at right now. So I go to the, the people who run the apartment complex. I'm like, hey, listen, I don't know if you want me to handle this and go up there and talk to them. Or I don't know how you want to do this. And they go, oh, yeah, here's the thing. The apartment above you is a Michelin-owned apartment. They just farm people in from Europe every two weeks. So literally what we had was the first four days of people living in the U.S. was them adjusting to their jet lag schedule and working out at three and four in the morning. And I thought, this house needs to get built right now. I got to leave. So we would go out to the house and check the, check the plot of land, and it was just kind of hills, and there were roads, and then there was a foundation and that all happened really quick. And so Lane and I were like, all right, maybe it's going to be shorter than this nine, 10 month timeline. We're going to have a house. It's going to be awesome. This foundation gets built. There's cement. We're like walking around the rooms, you know, and like, oh, the wall's going to go here. And this is so great. And so we're driving up every day, excited about this process of home building that's coming. And then we show up the next week and there's just tons of wood framing everywhere. And I'm like, this is it. This is it. We're like three months in and we're going to have a house. I'm so excited. And then the next week we came and nothing changed. And then for the next six weeks we went, nothing changed. And I just saw the framing of my house getting destroyed by weather. 
like rain and snow and ice and then heat, all these things. And I'm just going, well, when they put these walls up in my house, they're going to be so destroyed by the weather. They're going to be able just to push through it and then I won't have a house anymore. And they'll laugh and say, too bad, you already bought it. That's kind of what I was expecting to happen. And I got so impatient that every time I'd consider what my house was supposed to be doing in my timeline, and then hear the guy above me working out at 3 a.m., which I can only assume he had a full weight bench and uh, also three muscly men who helped lift him up and throw him down all the time. And I'd go and I'd see this pile of wood that was unshifting and unchanging. I, I would grow more and more and more and more frustrated. Or the pastoral thing, I'd have a greater and greater opportunity to learn patience. And, and as we were moving and waiting and praying and growing tired of the way, I realized when the walls finally went up, how exciting that was. And when there were little holes cut for windows, we have a picture, I should have shown it, of our kids like in the little window hole cut out of their rooms were going to be there one day. We got so excited. And then as walls came up and things started coming together, I realized that the timeline wasn't necessarily what I was wanting, but it was the builder's timeline because they knew what the heck they were doing. And then we had this home. We, we had this, this place that finally the potential was realized, that we were able to move in, to live in, to make incredibly dirty, and bring dogs in that made it 10 times dirtier, but then to decorate and put pictures of our kids up, our family, move our furniture in, make it a place of comfort and peace make it what we wanted to be but we had to have that time we had to have that 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 spot of time where we had to trust that what was happening was not our timeline it was not what we wanted but we knew the eventual goal of what would be there and so when people ask me what is it like planning a church i tell them it's a lot like building a house we were ready mentally but we weren't ready foundationally we had some stuff to get together we had to get money together. We had to get packed up. I hate packing. Does anyone else hate packing? Yeah. We were moving. Listen, the third time that you move your dishes, you get to a point where you just want to break them all, throw them away, and go buy something new at Ikea, right? And we talked about Ikea last week, so you know my struggle there. You're like, this isn't worth it. I don't want to worry about this. I was ready to throw everything away. But we had to pack up. We had to get things ready. And that's much of like what building this church is. We're close to being ready. We're nearly there, and now, a year later, we can see that foundation. That's why I'm going to share that with you this morning. As I said, um, you've heard me say this before. If you come to Travelers, to Travelers Rest, there's a few churches. You may have noticed a couple. If you come to Trailside, you may notice that it's not overly comfortable. We set up and tear down every week. Chairs, I think they're okay, but we have some people who don't like them. That's fine. They hold you up. That's what we're interested in. It's not comfortable, it's not perfect, but the, the thing that we do have that I think exists here is this incredible propensity for something great. This, this foundational structure that's being laid down and built so that once it's time to go, we're going to be able to go. And I think that's what we have. We have that propensity to do this incredible damage to Satan's grasp in this city. I don't know if you guys know, but everyone in Greenville County is a Christian, Right? You guys with me on that? Everybody goes to church. Everybody's a Christian. But what I've seen is that there's a lot of people who know of Jesus but don't know Jesus. 
And we have the awesome opportunity to see that change because of this place. It's good. So turn to First Peter 2 with me as we answer how to do that. And I'll read. We're going to start in verse 4, um, and we'll see how far down we go, but uh, we might just do a few verses here. And if you've been here more than once, you know that's probably the scariest thing you've heard all day today. So I'm reading out of the ESV. Uh, you can read whatever version you want. Fine. This is what the Word of the Lord says in First Peter 2, starting in verse 4. So as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, let me give you some context about First Peter. First Peter is written, uh, right, they think right around eighty sixty. Uh, Peter, this is written by Peter, the Peter you read about in the Gospels, who hung out with Jesus. And the thing that drives me nuts about Peter is um, I kind of find myself in the shade of Peter's life, right? Like, I would be the one who would get up in front of Jesus and be like, I'll never do that. You know, or like take a sword and try to cut somebody's head off in the garden. I would, I would be the guy who says the stupid thing that Jesus is like, oh, John, come on. Get with me. And, and that's that's who Peter is. This guy, Peter, uh, was that guy. He was a screw-up. He was a fisherman. He wasn't incredibly wise and smart. He did things and reacted a lot. But something happened with Peter that made him different, that made him able to write things like this. Peter lived a life that was crazy. Peter lived a life that was honest. Peter was a guy who denied Jesus to, or as he was being hung on a cross. Peter was a guy who was willing to dive into the water and walk toward Jesus on the storm. Peter was a guy who also cursed out a teenage girl. And then Peter is a guy who writes these beautiful words to us. And in verse 4 of the second chapter of 1 Peter, he, he says this incredible statement that kind of gets looked over if we don't actually take some time to read into. He says, so as you come to him, a living stone rejected. Rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and pressed. As you come. Now, if you go and do a little word study here, which I did, because, you know, that's how it is here. Not that great. Um, Peter actually uses this word that's really impressive, and it, in Greek, you can try to say it, but uh, it's basically prothom, prosercomenai, which I learned about three days ago. Um, no, but, but Peter uses this word, and actually what he says is, it's, it's the same word that's used in Psalm 34. And this beautiful point of David wondering what in the world God is going to do, the same heart that Peter says, as you come to the living stone, this is the exact same wording that he uses. And so I sought the Lord. This is Psalm 34, verse 4 and 5. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. So as, as Peter says this, as you come to the Lord, as you approach the living stone, that the mentality that he's actually using there is that it's someone you come to and it erases fear. But as, as you walk towards Jesus, have the heart of somebody who in the presence of God has no fear, has no anxiety, who the world cannot come against. 
answers prayers. Saw the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my sins. And and in this moment, when Peter's talking about this, he's not just saying, hey, go find Jesus and be okay. He's, he's actually saying, have an active drawing near to the Lord. An active pursuit. As you come near, have an active pursuit and desire to bring what it is you have and put it at the feet of Jesus. And let it melt away. This is Peter who was so scared of a young girl at the death of Jesus that he denied him. He says, as you actively pursue and draw near to him in a time of need, watch him show up. Watch him answer fears. Watch him hear your prayers. Watch him leave you satisfied. And, and he goes on and talks about Jesus as the living stone. The living stone. Now, in the Old Testament, when God showed up, one of my favorite things, actually, in the Old Testament, whenever God delivered his people, they would build an altar. We talked a little bit about this. In fact, this is why uh, Come Thou Fount is one of my favorite hymns of all time. Anybody love Come Thou Fount? Just me. I just, it makes me sound really good because I say words that are real big, but um, no. But there's a line in there that people sing, and I think they sometimes don't understand it. It sounds cool, and it says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Right? You guys remember that line? Like, yeah, I've sang that and wondered what it meant, and just thought Ebenezer was old. That's great. So actually what that, what that verse is saying is, Here I raise my Ebenezer, it's an altar. So it says, Here I raise the altar of the moment when Jesus showed up, when God showed up and delivered me. Because by his help, I'm here. So, so when we sing that line of come thou found, we say, here I raise my altar because it is him that I have gotten this far. It's a beautiful statement about God's provision. And that as we draw near to him, things happen. In the Old Testament, they would build altars. They would literally say, this is a place where God showed up. So let's pile a bunch of rocks together. So when people come by, they'll see this pile of rocks and they'll go there's something about that what is it and it'll be a place for people to remember about the lord delivering his people actually i've got a tattoo on my arm because i'm a heathen and um and it's a, it's a banner because the other way that people would celebrate god's provision is they would have a feast which is my favorite way to celebrate god's provision and they'll put a big banner over it and it would proclaim what it is the lord had done and it would sit under that banner and they would eat they would celebrate. And um, a totally different story for a totally another time when we uh, had our first child, when God gave us a child that we begged for and had a lot of trouble conceiving. Um, I, I got a, a banner with his birthday on my arm. And I got a banner because I thought a pile of rocks might look a little weird. And also down, down the line, I didn't want my son to be like, oh, yeah, my, this is what my dad thinks of me. He has a beautiful rose for my sister, and I'm a pile of rocks. So, um but that's what the Old Testament guys would do. They would say, this is a place that we want generations to know that God delivered us, that God showed up. And so that's what the altar is. And so the cool thing that Peter says here is it's not just stones, not rocks, that Jesus is not just a thing that we can look to. He's not a, an idol with a headstone that died and that we go to and pray to him and say, thank you. He is a living stone. He's light. It's 
confirming his voice, his action. He's a continual intercessor. I don't know if I'm that he is active always. And guys, because Jesus is active is why I believe that as a church we can do things differently and actually change the culture of our church. Because he's active. It's not about me. It's not about our band. Which, by the way, y'all, for real, I mean, then, was anyone else here during worship this morning? I, I was ready. I was just going to shut up and say, just sing more. It's not, about, it's not about our kids' ministry, our volunteers. It's not about any production. It's about that we have an active living stone who, as we draw near to him, will answer us and hear our prayers and will change things. And that is so worth everything that Peter calls us to that he's more than an altar of remembrance. He's a living stone who is unchangeable and unmovable. Psalm 118 says that he is, he is the cornerstone that holds everything together. The rejected cornerstone. And then, here's what Peter goes on to say. He says that that same Jesus, that same cornerstone, is active in his life and in ours, and he calls us to something greater be something different. Go back and go back and read that again. So as you come to him, the act of coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, here it is. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God with Jesus Now, there's some weight there, okay? There's some weight there. There's expectation there. But there's community there. But there's sacrifice there. There's a putting away of yourself there. There's an identity shift there. But there's a belonging there. And, and that's that's a huge moment for us as a church. Because what Peter says here, again, I'm going to read it. I want, I want us to hear this and actually dive in and understand what it means for us. That you yourselves are like living stones, like Jesus, who are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifice. And so we consider that, like, guys, this is what makes walking with Jesus life changes is that we're not appeasing a God who sits in the clouds wondering if we're going to be good enough. We don't toil and walk through this life because at the end of it, we just hope it's the best one. We have an active creator God who sees you and wants you as a part of what it is he's called you to do. And he calls us to a royal priesthood, not to be a court jester, or Lord of the manor, to be a part of the royal. He adopts us into his family because he wants us to take a full part in what it is he called us to do. Be the rock of the church. Here's the thing. If you're a believer, Jesus doesn't call you just to exist and survive. He calls you greatness and fulfillment and to be hope on this planet to other people. 
to be the rock of the church, to be established in the name of Jesus so when people see you, they would know there's something greater. So here's what Peter knew. Matthew 16, as Jesus hanging out with his disciples, he asked, who do people say I am? Very famous word. If, if you've read Bible, you've probably heard this word, right? You guys, have y'all seen this before? Okay, I don't, and I won't read it all to you. He says, who, who do people say I am? And Peter speaks up. He says, well, some people say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So, so Peter lays out, well, here's what other people say. Other people say, um, you know, like, that you're John who proclaimed the way, who would say, hey, something great is coming. So not the Messiah, but was able to tell people something's on the way. Or Elijah, who someone says is Christophany, is a prophet. This great prophet who did incredible things. But not quite the Lord. Or others, like Jeremiah, the great hero. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, well, who are you? And Peter finally gets her. I feel like every time I read this, I feel like standing up, right? And just clapping, being like, all right, Peter, woo! Got it! You did it! Says, who do you say? And Peter says, you're Christ. Messiah, the son of the living God. That's what Peter knew. Peter knew who Jesus was. Peter knew that Jesus was greater than John the Baptist who came to proclaim. Peter knew that he was greater than Elijah, a prophet. That he was greater than the hero, Jeremiah. Peter knew that he was greater than that. Peter knew what Jesus was capable of because he had walked with him and he had seen it. He had seen miracles happen. He had seen lives change. He had seen literally people who were dead come to life. Diseases healed. Peter had watched Jesus take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feed thousands and thousands of people. Things that were inexplicable that never should have happened. Peter understanding Jesus was. Understood, excuse me. And Peter understood that the gospel thinks that Jesus wasn't just another guy in the long plan, but that Jesus was the final answer. That's what it is everybody had been waiting for for so long. He understood that Jesus erased his history and right people knew. He understands he was more of a prophet because a prophet would never be able to do what Jesus did. He can only point to it. And so when, when Peter says that we also as believers are called to be living stones, to be part of the royal priesthood, he's also calling us to know and believe and live in those things. He's calling you. If you're here and if you follow Jesus, he is saying, this is who God says you are. This is what God says you're capable of. God says that you are someone who knows exactly who Jesus is. That he changes things. That he brings hope. That he heals. That he does things that don't make sense. That he's greater than a prophet. That he's greater than a proclaimer or a priest. That he's capable of changing eternity. That the gospel is greater than anything because Jesus is in the middle of it. That's who Peter says we are, I believe. And he applies that same statement to the church. 
because you're being built up. This is really cool because if you go back and understand the context of that being built up, it's actually not saying this is something you should pursue. It's saying it's something that's indicative of someone. So if you follow Jesus, if you're part of the church, if you are in the royal priesthood, one of the ways we know is because you are being built up. You're becoming more like Jesus. You are taking steps to be different. It's indicative of a believer. But the process is ending. Because we're not finished. We talked about some assembly required. Last week we talked about relationships. Today we're talking about building a church. Like this isn't our final go. This is not what we will look like anymore. This is not what we looked like a year ago. We were in a CrossFit gym. And we had to look through a whole weightlifting thing. It was miserable. And we had one bathroom. And when you used it, you pronounced victory to everyone who was there. This is the process. So that's the beauty of following Jesus. He doesn't count you as part of the truth. You're actually a part of what it is you have to do. And as a royal priesthood, the priesthood in this time was responsible for three things. It was to educate people on who God was. It was to offer sacrifices. And it was to provide blessings. Because Peter says, because of who Jesus is, because you follow him, something that is indicative of that is that you are a royal priesthood, that you educate people on who God is. You proclaim the truth. But you offer sacrifices. You provide blessing. It doesn't. It doesn't say that you're perfect. It doesn't say because you belong to Jesus, you don't mess up. You don't have doubt. You don't have things you worry about. It doesn't say that life goes perfectly and smoothly all the time. That you won't have doubt and struggle. Being a part of the royal priesthood doesn't mean that everything is wonderful all the time. And when you come to church, you just walk in like, "Hey, yes, great. My life is falling apart." It calls me wonderful. No, it just says we point people for the gospel. We sacrifice people for what God called us to. We bless people's lives. We offer spiritual sacrifice. I was talking to a friend of mine last night. Um, he's staying with us. And uh, we were chatting about characteristics of people and the believers. He said something that like, I, just, I wrote down immediately because I thought oh, it was incredible and it's so true. This is reading a book, and um, which I, I've done that once. And uh, it said the author in this one chapter had said that as believers we should be or become unoffendable, right? That we see people who are not offended. I was like, man, that's an incredible thought. This should be indicative of a believer that you can't say things that make me so mad that I can't function. Because my identity isn't in this, it's in Jesus. My hope isn't in now, it's in eternity. The goal of what we want to be and what we want to accomplish isn't in anything that this life gives us, it is in everything that we will inherit once this life is over. And I thought, that is such a cool concept. and so true. Because how many Christians are walking around and on social media and on the news offended about things that don't matter? A lot is the answer I was looking for. Don't forget the Wow. 
what, what should be indicative is that we are unoffendable because the one we follow, the priest that we belong to, is to be with Jesus in eternity. It's not now. No one can take anything here that will matter to us because in heaven, it will be forever and you'll have it forever and that can't be stolen away from you. And the only one who could steal it doesn't. Oh, he calls you his. His beloved. His heart is So as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. So it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying within a stone, and Zion stone, cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. See, this, this statement actually offers two big things for us as believers to hold on to. As we build a church, as we push through and desire to grow, two huge things. The first is that you have to continue, continue to seek being built up as a spiritual home. To add to the number, to fill the seats, those are all great, but the goal is to populate the houses of heaven and to be used as a part of that. And the second is a lot harder. All right, here we go. Big time. The second thing that Peter calls us to is sacrifice. And that's hard for us. I get it. But Peter says to sacrifice. Now, it's not about material sacrifice. It's about the heart of the sacrifice. A spiritual sacrifice. Now, listen, I'm not saying there won't be material sacrifice. I'm saying that the heart of sacrifice is more important than the material. And that you can't have a spiritual sacrifice when it comes without material. It's impossible. But here's what that does. When we sacrifice materially or spiritually, it shows a shadow of the reality to come. There's the hope of what the church will be. What heaven will look like. And and if you're here, you come to church and you say, hey, like I'm I'm cool with that. If you want to live in comfort, I've got news for you. You can't have a call if there's comfort. A call without a, a call without sacrifice isn't a call. It's comfort. It's surviving. It's existing. The sacrifice shows that things are worth it, and a call has to come above everything else. And so when Peter writes to us and he says, listen, you are part of a royal priesthood. You are being built up to be a part of this, to have spiritual sacrifice, to have a call. It's because that has to come before everything else, and everything else is worth sacrificing for. Because Peter understands something that we, I hope, will that the restoration of the gospel, that the hope of what we're called to, to be a church in the same city, is built on Jesus being the cornerstone. Isaiah 28 says that he's placed in the middle of Zion by the Lord. And he is. He's a cornerstone. He is placed directly in the middle of the cross. He was hope placed directly in the middle of pain. 
He was deliverance placed in the middle of sin and judgment. And he became the restoration between God and his creation that was broken in Genesis. And that God purposefully put him there and called him to be in the middle of it for the sake of us and his call. And that's worth the sacrifice in the process. And so when Jesus calls you to be a part of a living stone, and part of a royal priesthood, is to offer spiritual sacrifice just because that was him first. And we can follow that, and he wants us to be a part of that. As we build a church, we have to live in that. And so church, that's why I share with you my frustration. Like two and a half years ago, as we were watching a frame on our brand new home that we had sacrificed everything for and spent hours and countless hours and prayed and tried to discern what God was calling us to and if we should ever come here in the first place. As we watched that framing sit in the rain and ice, and as we went out to our property and we saw muddier boot marks on things that would become my daughter's room, and the stairs that they would climb up to get to the playroom. As, as we watch people walk over the things that were going to be the structure and the hope that we have, get beaten down by the hot sun, I realized that I was ready for the framework of now. Because it needed to be weathered. It needed to be tested. It needed to be messed with to make sure that it was going to have the integrity needed to keep our family safe. And fill the frame of the house. And in the same way, I believe, and our elders believe, that Jesus is called qualified to be that as well. That a year ago, I was ready. Mentally. I was ready. I was like, man, let's go into Traveler's Rest. Let's plant a church. 9,000 people will come. You're like, wow, that pastor is so beautiful and speaks well. And I was ready, but we weren't. I thought we had exactly what we needed. I'd hoped I was prepared. I'd hoped we were funded. I hoped that we had everything we needed, but I was wrong. Not about the purpose and the future and the framing, but about the time. Because God needed to work some stuff out in us. Because God needed to bring some people here. Because God needed to build a team and bring people who needed hope in. And as you've already seen this morning with our production, our band, worship, our really old guy, Todd, And now God has laid the framework. But it takes time to go to faith. So what do, I, what do I mean with all this? Why does any of this matter in our some assembly required? I want you to think about Peter for a minute. I want you, he was a hero of the faith. Just after Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus said something that I purposely left out until right now for you. He says, Peter, 
man has not revealed this to you, but God, only God has. And because of that, you are the rock that I will build my church on. See, when Peter writes about the living stone and being a part of it, he understands the fullness of what that means because Jesus himself called him that. He says, Peter, you are the rock I will build. And so Peter writes this letter. He welcomes believers in and says, you are that rock. You are, you are the foundation that the gospel is delivered on. And guys, here's what we have to do. We have to decide that we're okay with that, that we're a part of that, that it's a worthy sacrifice, and that other people are allowed to be a part of that. Too. Think about Peter. Just before, just before his arrest, actually a little before that, he was walking on water and Peter said, call me out. I want to come to you. So he does. And Peter walks. He's walking on water, doing something incredible. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? He's to fall in. He's rescued. And right before he gets arrested, Jesus tells Peter to his face, You're going to deny me. And Peter says, Man, never be outside. And then, spoiler alert. Peter not three times. Trust is obviously his first. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I've done that before. I've driven you with this. So let's be internal, guys. We can go through it. Peter's wrong. He messes up. And he breaks down. And he falls apart. And then he watches Jesus get crucified, taken down off a cross, and buried. And Peter's living in an idea that now he has no way to fix what he had messed up. <clears throat> and then something amazing happened. In John 21, after Jesus dies, spoiler alert, is resurrected. He shows up to his disciples and he looks at Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And three times, he asks him that question. And Jesus signs values him and restores him back into me. He restores Peter from his unbelief. And then Peter does something crazy. He goes on to preach at Pentecost. Thousands of people get saved. He goes on to plant churches and love people and write to churches. And then as, as this guy Nero, who's a terrible, terrible person, begins killing off as many of Jesus' disciples as possible, he gets his hands on Peter. And he goes to crucify Peter at 80, 68, or 69. And as he hangs Peter on a cross, Peter stops him and says, no, 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 wait. I'm not worthy to die in the way that my Lord did. Hang me upside down. This is Peter who saw the crucifixion and knew it was so bad that he was scared to say he was even what, what changes? What flips us in that moment? How do we become people who say, no, I'm not worthy of that. Flip me upside down. Because Peter understands we are living in the royal priesthood. I don't know many people who are asking to be crucified or upside down. Please don't do that. But I know what happens when you get a group of people together who are willing to sacrifice. Who are willing to fight. Who are willing to be living things. Who are willing to, to live and have identity as the royal priesthood. Information. The church, we're just getting started in that. But we're building. 
And, and what we need is people to come with us, to be willing, to sacrifice, peace to love, to encourage, to watch Jesus change lives in people in the city, of people in the city. Because God is a God of calling. He's a God of calling us out of our sinfulness, out of our control, out of our comfort, out of our insecurities, out of our fears. He is God who calls us into purpose. And being a living stone means that we understand that and thrive in that. Because remember, as Peter says, as you can, you're being built up. But you don't need to fear having the intercessor. You don't need to fear sacrificing that you don't need to fear demonstrating second and third chances because God is a living stone who changes people's lives and calls you to be a part of that. Because grace offers grace. Not just giving you and giving me and I'm the living. But our church still requires me to come Still not there. But I'm going to ask you they're helping us with I'm going to ask you to help help our staff, help our elders, help our volunteers. Make this yours. This is not my vision. This is our vision. I'm going to ask you to be a part of it. I'm going to ask you to sacrifice. I'm going to ask you to give. I'm going to ask you to come and serve. I'm going to ask you to go out of your way to be a little weird people. Because sometimes crazy grace and forgiveness looks a little weird. But here's why, because you are living stone being built up. To be a part of a royal priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifice, and to rely on the cornerstone of the faith, Jesus Christ. Because people are worth it. Because a call that costs nothing is not a call. At the end of the series, in a couple weeks, we're going to have a report handed to you that's being generated by our uh, elders and myself and our staff. It's going to tell you what we believe and what we are looking for financially for our budget. Um, it's going to talk about our strategy, what we want to be as a church and how we get there, our staff, what we want this place to be a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. We're going to hand that booklet to you, and I want you to do me a favor. Don't just leave it. Don't throw it in your car and whatever. Take it and, and pray. Pray over it. Read it. Understand it. Ask questions about it. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit to build a passion within you over it. I get to talk to the mayor a lot. Ben, y'all can find out how that is. Um, I get to talk to the mayor of our city a lot. He's cool. And um, randomly one day I just said, hey, I want to baptize all of the are. I think that'd be awesome. And every time I talk to her now, she ends with hashtag baptized PR. I love it. She can get our church. It's good when they that kind of shit. That's what we need. That's what we need. Some assembly may be required, but God's going to make you with it. I want to be there. Come, serve, give, love. Let's the world Father, you're good. 
Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.